John chapter 10 today. Read with me, if you will. Uh, it will be hopefully on the board. John 10, 1 through to 10. Yes, it is. John chapter 10, 1 through to 10. I read from the, I think it's the NIV here. Jesus is speaking. It's entitled, headed, The Shepherd and His Flock. I tell you the truth, he says. The man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of his sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them. And his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech but they did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, to kill, to destroy. I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. Thank you, Jesus, for this teaching. May the Lord bless his word to us. We come then again to our studies of the I Am sayings. There has been through them, as you have noticed, a continuing sequence. It's intriguing, and it occurs in so many of them. The way the actual saying is twice said, literally repeated. We've been seeing in the, in, the, in the bread of life and the light of the world how the first time locked into the person of Christ as he teaches about himself is a negative expression of the teaching. And the second time is a positive expression of the teaching, exploring his work more particularly than his person. So at six, chapter 6, 35, there is the, the negative side of the bread of life saying, which teaches us that he, as bread of life, takes away the, the perishing hunger with which we're all born. That dissatisfies us and destroys us spiritually until we find him a saviour and at 648 there's the positive emphasis that he's the bread of life ordinary ordinary 
things of life and we look to the satisfiers leave us just the same ultimately. But he, when he comes, he brings new life and purpose. Not only does he remove sin, but he brings eternal life to us. A new life, a new existence, a new way of thinking, a new way of living. It's the same sequence, isn't it, in the light of the world. 8 chapter 12, there's the, the person with the negative thrust. He takes away the darkness, the confusion that we all have because we're born that way in Adam as fallen creatures. Of course, we intellectually understand these things, but understanding them intellectually and experiencing personally are two very different things. So we may perfectly understand the theory of the gospel, but as for its reality, that's a very different matter. He takes away the superficial sight, the blindness, short-sightedness, the darkness that we have. Positively, at six, at chapter 9, verse 5, you remember he heals a man born blind. It's not restoring sight. He's creating sight in someone who never had it before. That's what he does for you and me spiritually. He comes to us who are spiritually blind in our Adamic nature. And he takes away that. And he gives us not only the ability to understand his coming and his gospel, but to experience it personally and to know it. The light. Scattering the darkness. The sequence moves on slightly now when we come to the door. Here we notice again the twosome sayings. First time, it's about the entrance into the kingdom. Second time, second time, it's about the enjoyment of living in the kingdom once we're in it. And the remarkable thing is here that, yes, they're in the same chapter, chapter 10, but even more distinctly, they are in two consecutive verses. The first statement of his being the door in verse 7. The second statement of his work as the door in verse 8. It's all as though he wants to educate us, wants to teach us the salvation he's bringing to us. How to get it, how to imbibe it, how to get it into our systems. And know the joy of it. Same sequence, though it's moving on. Same scripture. The scriptures in all of them. And all of the seven sayings. I mean, we've seen it clearly, haven't we? In the bread of life, it's the manna in the Old Testament. Bread of angels, bread from heaven, as the psalmist calls it. And what does he say? I am the living bread come from heaven. If a man will eat of me, he will live forever. I tell you the truth. The bread that I will give for the world is my flesh. Unless, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh and drink the bread, unless you eat the bread and drink the flesh of the son. Ah, sorry, sorry, sorry. Unless you eat the flesh and drink the blood of the Son of Man, you have no life in you. Is that absolute, isn't it? And when we come to the light, again, it's this idea of promised in the old, fulfilled in the new. The light of creation. God said, let there be light, and there was light. The light in the prophets, the people who walked in darkness, have seen a great light. 
Like in the Psalms, the Lord is my light and my salvation. It's fulfilled in him, in John 1. In him is life. The life was the light of men. The light shined in the darkness, and, and the darkness couldn't overcome it. Scripture, scripture, scripture. Promised fulfilled. We're not, we're not doing mumbo-jumbo in church life. We're following the Word. The Word is teaching us how to come to Him, how to enjoy Him, how to enter into Him. And then when we have entered into Him and into eternal life, how to enjoy it. And it's the same as we come today to the door. I like to think, as we've already been anticipating in prayer, that the, the Old Testament imagery is in those gates leading into the temple. You remember that great 24th Psalm to St. George's Edinburgh? Ye gates, lift up your heads on high, ye doors that last for aye be lifted up, that so the King of glory enter may. Who is the King of glory? The Lord mighty, the Lord strong in battle. Who is the King of glory? The I am God, Yahweh, Jehovah, the Lord of the armies of heaven. He is the King of glory. All the imagery of that as we can see God's plan through Christ opening up to bringing us into his saving presence. In Psalm 100, Jesus is the praise of God. O enter then his gates with praise. Approach with joy his courts unto. Praise Lord and bless his name always. For it is seemly so to do. For why? The Lord our God is good. His mercy is forever sure. His truth at all times firmly stood and shall from age to age endure. Of pardon in Psalm 118, in Jesus, open for me the gates of righteousness, and I will enter into them, and I, the Lord, will bless. This is the gate of God through whom the righteous enter in. I will you bless, you have me heard, and my salvation be. It's all there in the old, fulfilled in Jesus in the new. And the protection of salvation. Psalm 122, I joyed, went to the house of God. Go up, they said to me, Jerusalem within thy gates, our feet shall standing be. Getting the picture, the imagery. Jesus brings us all these things. He brings us into the saving presence of God. He shows us the saving praise of God. He gives us the saving pardon of God. And he walls us round with the saving protection of God. That's why we thrill to sing those glorious songs, isn't it? There it is. Sequence. Scripture. And it has been sign, hasn't it? Do you remember how the signs, that's what John calls the miracles, do you remember how the signs have been involved in all this teaching? What does he do? He feeds 5,000 people with five loaves, two fish. And then he goes on to explain that he can feed spiritually anyone, everyone, in the same way. He teaches, he is the light of the world. And how does he confirm it? He takes a man born blind. Not a man sighted having become blind, but a man born blind. And he heals him to show that he, he can create sight through spiritual sight there is none at all now here's the intriguing thing the sequence breaks the miracles come back and the other of the seven signs but here there's a break 
What replaces the sign? Speech, speech. Jesus used a figure of speech with them. But they did not understand what he meant. So he went on to explain it. He's ever the teacher, instructing, showing us the way. What is a figure of speech? A figure of speech is technically called an allegory. It's like a parable, but it's not exactly the same as a parable. A parable is what? A parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Usually in parables, there's one lesson, one basic lesson we learn. The parable of the sower, of the seed, shows us the destiny of the seed, either germinating or not, in the ground. That's the main lesson. But the figure of speech is not so much an earthly story with a heavenly meaning as an earthly picture or portrait with a heavenly meaning. Of course, it's in words. But like a lot of pictures, we come back to it again and again. And we see something different and something new. See, this is why it says in John chapter 10, verse 6, he spoke this to them and they didn't understand it. Of course, the devil was blinding their eyes to see the spiritual meaning, but even naturally they couldn't understand. What is he talking about? Is he the door or is he the shepherd? Would the man make up his mind? But the glorious thing is this, is that in that picture he is painting, he is both the door into the sheepfold and he is the shepherd who looks after the sheep. It's glorious. You see, in chapter 15, you remember, I am the vine, but my father is the vine dresser. And you, if you're in me, if you've come to me in repentance and faith, you are the branches drawing your life from me, bearing fruit because of me. The, the, the figure of speech, the, this form is far more versatile it has a number of meanings and lessons. You probably know it off by heart. You maybe learned it in school. I don't know. He who does not enter by the door into the sheepfold, but climbs up some other way, Jesus is painting the picture, is a thief and a robber. But he who enters in through the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the porter opens. The sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name. He leads them out. When he has led them out, he walks in front of them. The sheep follow him. They will not follow a stranger. They do not know, recognize the voice of a stranger. Like the other saying, simple yet profound, exceedingly practical. A boy or a girl not only from Bethlehem, a village community, but from Jerusalem, the capital, in this pastoral community, would have understood what Jesus was talking about. And it was also Eastern, wasn't it? We best understand it as we go back to Christmas. Do you remember the Christmas carol we sing? While humble shepherds Watch their flocks in Bethlehem's plains by night. What on earth were they doing at night, sitting, sheep watching? They were guarding them. Guarding them from thieves and robbers. 
It was not only an important part of the agricultural economy. Sheep stealing was a very valuable crime, as it were. They could make a lot of money. So there were the thieves and robbers, and there were, of course, the foxes and the wolves who would ravage the flock. And that's what they were doing, you remember, on the mountainside in Bethlehem when the angel of the Lord appeared. Told him about the baby. Wrapped in swaddling clothes, no great thing, but lying in a feeding trough. Something very distinctive, and off some of them went to find the baby Jesus. The rest said, for you see, it was normal practice at night to gather all the different flocks into the one enclosure, put a guard post, a guard posted on it, the porter, to watch over them. That's the situation, the background to which Jesus is speaking. It makes sense. And it's also Eastern. In the morning, the individual shepherds would come. The porter, the watchman, would recognize them. Of course, they weren't thieves or robbers. They, he knew them. They were the shepherds of these different flocks. And he would open the gate to them as they came individually to him of the enclosure. Why, the sheep knew him. They knew their master's voice. He calls them by name. They say that in the East, it was not so much owner and animal as master and pet. There was this intimacy of relationship. When he brought them out, notably, he walked in front of them, and they followed him. We sit in the West in the car, ready to pump the horn. Even more frustrated if it's a flock of sheep and not a herd of cows. When are we ever going to get to our destination? So different there. Leisurely, he leads. They follow. Sometimes Jesus needs to pressure us as believers. But lovingly, he leads. We follow his teaching. We follow his example. It was all so eastern, not western. Why did they not understand it? They didn't understand it, of course, because the devil was blinding their eyes. But they didn't understand it because practically they did. What, 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 what does this mean? Is he the door? Is he the shepherd? So what does he do? And this brings us to his first saying. He explains what he's doing. They did not understand what Jesus said to them. So he said to them again, I tell you the truth I am the door for the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. Now, it all depends what the word before means. Of course, ultimately, we all stand before him as our judge at the end of the day, but before there has a temporal sense, I believe. All that ever came in time before him he means. We're not the real shepherd. We're not the genuine door. They were thieves and robbers. He's not thinking of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. For the patriarchs, even in the story of their lives and their characters, are good guidelines to those who become Christians. He's not talking about the kings, a mixed bunch, David, Solomon, and the good ones who, along with them, who 
did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Hezekiah, Josiah. Because they have lessons to teach us in their lifestyle and in their ways. He's not talking, of course, about the great prophets. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. He's talking about the false prophets and the false shepherds that Jeremiah berated, of whom Ezekiel said, they feed themselves, they don't feed the sheep. But the day is coming when there will be one fold and one shepherd, and that one shepherd will truly feed the flock, of whom Isaiah says, he will, he will feed his flock. He will gather the lambs into his arms and into his bosom. He will guide the pregnant yews safely on their way to birth. See the point? And perhaps he was even meaning the scribes and Pharisees who were misshaping the teaching of the law. All that ever came before me were thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not hear them. He's saying, don't listen to those. Listen to me. I'm the true door I'm the true teacher. Indeed, I am the exclusive door and entrance to the fold. That's not popular today. Oh, it doesn't matter what religion you are. They all lead to God, they all lead to heaven. That's not what the Bible teaches, not what Jesus teaches. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Are we getting the picture? That's why in the Sermon on the Mount, when he is clarifying things, he says this, enter, enter by the narrow gate into the restricted way. Because wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many there are who go in that way. You don't have to find that. You're born on that road. I was born on that road. Born in Adam. So I find it. But, says Jesus, narrow is the great. Restricted is the way that leads to life. And few there be who find it. You've got to look for it. Intriguingly, in Luke's gospel, he gives the same teaching on his way to Jerusalem. And this time he stresses the human responsibility of seeking that door and knocking yourself about to make sure that you do enter into it. He says, strive. Jesus says, strive to enter in at the narrow door. I, I tell you the truth. There are many who have attempted and they are not able to do it. Outside there is weeping and wailing and crying. Jesus said. He says, for once the householder comes and closes the door, then those outside will, will batter the door and he will say, I, I, I don't know you, I don't know where you're coming from, it's too late. And those who are left outside will watch them coming from east and west, north and south, non-Jews, and sitting down with Abraham at the heavenly feast. 
I tell you, many who are first and who have known it all for years and should be there will be last. And the last will be first. Jesus is always teaching us. Get off of the broad road through me into the narrow way and make it your personal responsibility to strive to do that. Listen to the teaching about it. See what it involves. Truly becoming a Christian. And make sure you strive to do that and ultimately do that. No other door. No other way. No other gate to the realms of day. I sang as a boy, hardly even understanding what it meant at that stage. No other keeper when tempted to stray. No other friend but Jesus. One door, did you learn it? One door and the actions and only one. And yet the sides are two. The inside. The outside. On which side are you? I'm on the inside. On which side are you? He is the exclusive entrance into the kingdom. Secondly, in his work, he is the efficient enjoyment once you're in. Do you know what amazes me? Verse 7, the door is central placed. And right up to that point, you can't look at the picture of Jesus' words without seeing the door, the gate, in the middle of it. Once you come to verse 8, it's as though the door didn't exist. Of course it did. And it is a vital and important place to pay, spiritually speaking. But we have come through the door. Listen to the sequence of it. All who ever came before me, he teaches, were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If a man enter through me, he will be saved. That's his work. Call his name Jesus. Jesus. He will save us. That's what it means. He will save his people from their sin. If a man enter through me, he will be saved and listen and go in and out. In and out. And find pasture. You getting the substance of his teaching? I, I must get myself off this broad road. I must convince myself that I'm on this broad road. Jesus tells me I'm on it. That's the way I'm born. I must take steps to get myself off of this broad road through him the only way into the narrow road that leads to life but that's not the end that's only the start that done I must obey the second teaching of Jesus I must go in and out and find pasture it's a figure of speech it's a portrait Let me put it this way. The first picture Jesus paints is in the darkness of night. There's the wide enclosure. 
There's the boundaries. There's the porter. There's the dawn comes. There's all the process of going through and coming out through the door. But the scene changes now. Now that you've come through the door, what's the message? The message is feeding on him. Feeding on him. You have come through him and entered. Now you enjoy him. What must we as Presbyterians do according to question answer number one? Glorify and enjoy him. You must feed on him. The word that he has given. The scriptures. And enjoy him. I worked for 40 years in a hoho. Most of you know where a hockle is. Most people outside of Northern Ireland think it's some disease or you need to clear your throat or something. I worked for 40 years in the church in a hockle. And we had an evening service that rotated around the three of them. Maisie and I went to the, wherever the evening service was. Of course, when it was my own, I had to preach at it. And on the evenings, sometimes even my own, summer evenings, like this time of the year, let me put it like that way, we would go down in the car to Carnock for a run after the evening service. It was early enough to do that. And always and invariably we would see the sheep. And even latterly when I would go down, maybe at the springtime in the mornings, to preach in Bucknow or down in Carnock or in Albana, it was the same story. The lambs were there, but they were always doing the same thing. Nibbling, feeding, feeding, nibbling, And we used to say wrongly, of course, silly sheep, what an existence. But no, that that was the existence God gave them. They weren't silly sheep, they were wise sheep. Sometimes we are silly believers. We'll go through the gate into the kingdom and we say, that's it. I'm saved now. I'm ready for heaven. I'll just go back to living the way that That's not true salvation. It's a new life. It's a feeding life. And the staple diet is scripture. Converted people run around. They run to missions for a lifetime. Now, missions are important and I'm not denigrating them. But they're not the place for a converted person. If you have to go to support it, bring somebody who's not converted with you. The place once you've become a Christian is the midweek meeting or the Sunday services where you can feed on the word of God. Need it. Enjoy it. And grow by it. The thief comes only to steal, to kill, to destroy. I have come that you might have life. And have it to the full. The Greek word for full or in abundance there is perison. Let me explain. At the beginning, in the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 5, Jesus is explaining how the scribes and Pharisees are leading them astray. They're not teaching the truth of the Old Testament at all. It's their version of it. And he says this, Except your righteousness exceed, and there it's the verb, from this word, perizon, peris, you say, except your righteousness exceed. is better than the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. 
there is no way you'll get to heaven. Now, what do you mean? If they pray once a day, you pray twice a day. If they fast once a week, you fast three times a week. If they do one good work, you do ten good work. No. It's a different quality of life. It's, as the gospel, a receptive. This time, scripture, feeding, growing, being educated, being in the Christian school, the Christian high school, the Christian university. That's the image. That's what Jesus wants for you and me once we come through him into the kingdom to find the new life, to love the new life, and love, I love you, Lord, we were singing, to love him. And how do we do that? We do what we're doing now. We study his word. Once we are saved, children of God, and grow in grace. And then the nature of our heavenly father. At the end of that section, he's explaining how how they must love. Now he says, none of this woozy business of love means being friendly with everybody. Love your enemies. I command you. Do good to those who hate you. Bless your cursors, says Jesus. Pray for those who malign you and despitefully use you. That's that's real love, according to my teaching. He says the tax gatherers, they're Jews, you despise them. They're lifting money for their own government. They love one another. Of course they do. The Gentiles whom you despise, the pagans, the Romans, rule over you. You despise them. You hate them. They look out for one another, don't they? What real reward, he says, have those tax gatherers? But he says this. What more, perizon is the word that's used. What more do you do than the Gentiles in loving one another? The thief comes only to steal, to kill, to destroy. I, I have come that once you come through me, you may find this life and then enjoy it. Feed upon me and grow. And make that your primary desire. Not only coming to church, but living your life. And loving your Lord. Glorious, isn't it? His teaching. Two occasions. Negative. Positive. Getting us into the kingdom. And then breeding us up. Once we're done it. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your teaching. Help us to go home and think about it. More, Lord, help us to act upon it. That it may impact, change, and transform our lives. In your name we pray. Amen.